Welcome listeners to Creators and COVID, a podcast where I talk to creatives about their experiences coping with the coronavirus pandemic. Whether you started a new business and made something incredible or barely managed to survive with your sanity, we want to normalize those stories and create an archive so that the future can look back at our experiences and learn about the many forms coping and surviving take on in a global crisis. Today, we're talking to Suzanne Kohler, an editor and writer from Florida, who had first thrived on the opportunities presented in the pandemic. Suzanne soon found herself sidelined by a hand fracture and a serious case of burnout. Her story quickly turns from survival to something more in episode two of Creators in COVID, Replenishing the Well. She worked night and day until a hand injury and a case of carpal tunnel sidelined her. The injury, the burnout, and the stress of being a progressive creator in the state of Florida all made the days harder to get through. Survival became the norm for much of the pandemic. Then one day in therapy, Sazine had a realization. How was she supposed to get well without pouring into or taking care of herself? So like, we've got to start doing things at this point to like try to fill our cups again. And if we got burned out doing something like for me, it was writing. If our burnout kind of sprang from one of our main creative wells, Well, then we've got to like kind of start digging and get another well going, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and it sucks. It's really hard. Like I hate it. I, I, I don't know how to not be a writer. Her story becomes one of self-care and self-love. Come along as we listen to this creator discuss her journey to finding balance in her work and life by replenishing the well. It's a discussion that so many of us still may need to have. And we're having it here on the Creators in COVID podcast, episode two, Replenishing the Well. Suzanne Kohler, could you, you know, tell us who you are and what you, what you did before the pandemic? Yeah. So before the pandemic, um, I was working pretty steadily just as a, as an entertainment journalist and pop culture writer, mainly for the website Looper doing uh, deep dives into a lot of different television shows and movies, um, a lot of horror stuff. That's kind of my, my, my niche is horror. And um, I was also doing uh, film and TV reviews for Black Girl Nerds and for Bitch Magazine. And, um, you know, some, I was do- that's, that was basically what I was doing. Um, I had, I would, you know, from time to time take on editing projects on the side and mostly academic editing. And so that was just another thing that kind of just to supplement my income. And then when the pandemic hit, so I continued with my writing for 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 quite a while during the pandemic, and then right around the time that my my husband actually lost his job, he was working in the in the restaurant industry. And so when when Steve lost his job, I right around that same time, I ended up getting an offer to work with um, a medical educational journal as a copy editor, sort of a copy editor plus. Um, so I was also doing a little bit of sensitivity reading and a little bit of content editing, um, especially in terms of inclusion inclusion and anti-racist language. And, um, and so that, that gig was like, oh my gosh, that gig is so awesome. I love it. And it also pays really well. So that happened right at the perfect moment when my husband was, you know, lost his job and wasn't sure if he wanted to go back to the restaurant industry. And so basically because I got the job as a copy editor with MedEd Portal, Steve was able to actually take a huge pay cut and switch industries. So he's now working um, in medical marijuana, which was the industry that he'd been wanting to get into for some time. And he just didn't actually have the opportunity uh, actually until the pandemic. So we both actually ended up kind of 
shifting our careers a little bit during during you know the, during the pandemic, um, the height of it at least. Yeah, but I was still continuing to write um, for Looper. For Looper, I was a, a weekly uh, weekly contributor, and so um, <clears throat> so yeah. So like during the height of the pandemic. I basically just worked for nine months straight. You know, I got the new job in May and really until December when I started trauma therapy, I did not take a weekend. Um, I literally just, I did, I just worked and worked. Um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I took one week off um, during a, a very like, the, during the anniversary of a really horrible event. And, uh, but that wasn't a, it wasn't a holiday. It was like a, it was a trauma week. And I, I basically didn't sleep for seven days and it was just, it, you know, so it wasn't a vacation. It yeah. wasn't a rest. It was nothing. It was just like, I just couldn't, that was what I had to do that week and I couldn't work. So, the, um, oh, wow. so yeah, so I just literally like for nine, basically for nine months straight, um, until I started trauma therapy. And then with Trump, when, when I started trauma therapy, I just started taking off my trauma therapy day. So mm -hmm. that, so I was still working six days a week and my weekend was, you know, was Wednesdays for trauma therapy. Um, so yeah, so I basically, I, I kept at that pace for a while, but then at the turn of the new year, um, so, you know, so 2021, all of a sudden, um, my hands kept hurting and I've had, you know, as a writer and editor, I've had chronic tendonitis for many years at this point. And so I just really thought that it was a, a tendonitis flare up, but then one tendonitis flare up turned into another one very quickly after. And, and it just kind of felt like the tendonitis wasn't going away. And, um, and so I was kind of taking, I started, I, I was kind of forced to take breaks from my writing job because my hands were just hurting so much. And then to add like an insult to, to that injury, um, my hand got slammed in a door and, oh man, like it got slammed in a door really, really hard. And we thought it was broken for a while. Um, it turned out that it wasn't broken. Um, what I had was an intersected injury. So basically because of the tendonitis, because my hands were, well, my hands were all swollen uh, when the door hit me, it hit like three tendons going to three different parts of my hand. So one going up to my thumb, one going up to my middle finger, and the other one like wrapping around to like where my pinky is on the palm side. So I had, so these three tendons were like super damaged, luckily not torn, but like really, really badly damaged. And my hand wasn't getting better. So I, you know, I had it in the brace. And so by the time I finally, you know, got x-rays and everything and got to the doctor, basically what had been happening was that anytime that one part of my hand would calm down, like I would move my thumb and then it would wake up all the other, the other injured tendons. So I just was constantly re just, just moving my thumb was re-injuring my entire hand. So <laughs> Wow, so, that's a lot. That's, that's dude. <laughs> and I, but wait, I'm not. But I'm not even. You're like, I'm wait, there's even, more. There's okay, so much is, I'm not even finished yet. So, so, so I, you know, one of the positive things is that because my husband's new job, um, he has really good health insurance. I was actually able to um, go to an orthopedist. It's really expensive, but it's not ex as expensive as I as it would be otherwise. And the surgeon that I'm going to is like one of the best in the world. Like people come from all over the place to go to him for hand surgery. So, so anyway, so he, so he identified my intersected injury and it had turned into intersection syndrome, which I think is a very poetic way to talk about something horrible and painful. Um, and so I had to get a corticosteroid shot in, into that part of the injury. And we had to start physiotherapy to see, you know, to see, because he was worried that there might be a break. My hand was so swollen um, that, you know, we just had to get it, everything calmed down. So, 
So uh, six weeks go by after the injection and, and physio, and my hand is still not better. Um, we don't understand, we can't understand what's like, and the injury seems to have shifted someplace else. It, it's shifted into my wrist and into my fingers. So then become, then I have to get, um, an MRI. Um, then I had to get an EMG test, which is basically like electrified needles. And the test, these were for, to see whether I actually had a micro fracture and also to test for carpal tunnel syndrome. Ah, so, um, more needles and another cortisone shot later. Um, I have carpal tunnel and um, mild carpal tunnel in my in both hands, but worse in my left. And it started roughly a year ago. So all the time that I thought that I was having tendonitis flare-ups, it wasn't tendonitis at all. It was actually um, my I was shredding my hands, working so hard, and I shredded my yeah I sh I shredded myself into carpal tunnel. Um, the nerve damage is like the creepiest part of it because now that I'm getting sensation back in my fingers, it's. Wow. I just, it's really weird. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't even, I don't even know how to describe it. So like, I've just been like disconnected from my body for all of this time, just working so hard. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah, um, yeah. So, and so then now with the, so then, so then we've got the carpal tunnel diagnosis. I got another injection and it's, that's starting to feel better. But so now that we've gotten all this physical stuff sorted out and I've got that diagnosis, my trauma counselor has now diagnosed me with burnout. So um, yeah. So, so this also like, so this, so I've just like, again, so I had intersection syndrome was the injury in my hand, but like, I feel like that's kind of what I've been through this whole, like since the pandemic is like yeah. an intersection syndrome, like yes. one thing on top of another, on top mm -hmm. of another, everything provoking everything else from the top down and then from the bottom all the way back up <laughs> from the emotional to the spirit, like to the physical, mm -hmm. from the personal all the way through to like the economic side, mm -hmm. financial work side of things. Like, I mean, wow. Just like layers and layers of trauma and injury. <laughs> yeah. It's like the, the whole thing is an, a lot. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Intersection, uh, intersection syndrome does sound poetic and it does sound like it's a, your entire diagnosis. Like it, it really, I, I love like it's just, I mean, I figured like at, at this point, I think if I, that's going to be the title of my memoir is going to be intersection syndrome. Um, <laughs> You know, a, a trans country, a transcultural horror memoir. Um, oh, I want to yeah. read that. Yeah, yeah. So, but well, but also, <laughs> but here's part of the thing with the burnout is I can't write. I can't. I can't do it. I. Well, you can't, can't write with the with the intersection syndrome with your hands either, I or the carpal tunnel. That's the thing. So I can't. So I physically can't write, and then even in my mind, my mind is blank. I can't. Mm -hmm. It's the weirdest feeling I've ever had in my life. I mean, I've been writing and reading since I was. I mean, I I was up like. I don't know. I started reading chapter books when I was like three. I mean, mm -hmm. I was ridiculous. I'm just like such a word person. And, and, um, Oh God. I mean, I've always been a writer and this is the longest that I've gone without writing anything. And mm -hmm. I keep coming up with ideas, but then like, I, there's nothing else past it, you know, mm -hmm. like I'll be like, Oh, that would be like, Ooh, that plus that. And then I'm like, but what? Like mm -hmm. there's nothing there. It's just blank. It's I, Oh God. It's really scary. Um, it, it, well, it is. It's, it's fucking terrifying. Oops, I'm not sure if I was allowed to. No, you're you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Um, and and that seems to be almost like a metaphor for this pandemic as a whole for people. You know, freelance workers. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, this we have this great project right now, but what after that? Because we don't know if we're going back into a lockdown. Then the Delta variant is getting bad, and you, yeah. my dear, are in Florida. I am in hell. Yeah, <laughs> I am in hell. This, this is yeah. officially this is officially one of the. This is in a circle of hell. 
Um, yeah, and it, and being here during the pandemic has just been one of the most disheartening um, mm-hmm. ex- things I've seen. Um, just the how selfish people are. Mm-hmm. Um, the our governor uh, just I guess doesn't he only cares about rich people and he's fine with everybody else just getting sick and dying. Mm-hmm. One, one of my um, dearest friends, one of my local friends here, one of the best people I've ever known in my entire life. Um, she died of COVID. Mm. And, um, you know, she got infected, like just like the, it was like a week or 10 days before she was eligible for the vaccine, her age group Mm. and she got COVID and then she was in the hospital for months and like, Mm -hmm. Oh God. So, Oh, you know, I mean, we just, we never really properly locked down here. And Mm -hmm. so a really terrifying amount of people here really think that COVID is either it's not that bad or it's just straight up a hoax. Like it's a, it's a Democrat hoax um, or it's like bioterrorism by China, but still it's not that bad. Like the, the mm-hmm. kind of like mental acrobatics people go through here to have a, to have really kind of inhuman um, perspectives on things is very, it's just, it's really disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like for me, so I, 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 the social isolation has definitely continued for me because I'm, I'm not going to a pub that threw a party when he lifted the mask mandates. Mm. Like I'm mm-hmm. like, they literally had parties where they were like burning masks and stuff like this, like what? Wow. Like, just unbelievable. Um, just really just, ah, uh, so, you know, I mean, so I'm not going to go, um, I'm not going to give my money to any kind of organization that supports this nonsense. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, that basically just supports the kind of manslaughter, just the general manslaughter and, and negligence that yeah. getting people killed. Um, so, you know, so I just, I really, I still haven't, I don't really go out. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though technically like the, everything is open here and their concerts are going on, everything is at full capacity. I'm still at home um, because it's not safe. I don't feel safe. You have people like you, good people who are isolating, who are putting themselves through this mentally on top of the burnout, on top of the isolation syndrome. I hope I'm not bumming you out. <laughs> I just like, just I hope hit me I'm like, not bumming you out. My no, 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 so <laughs> no. I think people need to hear this, that, you know, you are sitting here in the middle of this political mess that's turned into a health, a health, um, a health crisis. Yeah. Um, and you're trying your best to survive it on top of being burnt out from, you know, just really diving into those opportunities. Because if we go back to 2020, they were really, really calling for black and brown and, you know, um, indigenous and, you know, um, anybody who can, who has a not, and who is not white and, ha- and can write something for them. Those opportunities were pouring in. And I know you were like me, let's grab them, grab them, grab them. Cause you know, we don't get this. But then burnout is what this is. And then on top of all this, um, what, what is it that you want people to know about this moment in the pandemic for you as a writer and editor or creator? What do you want people to know? Like, um, because I want this to serve as like a historic record. So 20 years from now, when, you know, my five year old is in college studying this, um, what do you want her to know about this moment for you? A fellow woman of color. Gosh, that's a great question. Um, honestly, like this is going to sound so bleak and it's probably just, um, just kind of the, this, the state that I'm kind of in right now and the state as in also as in Florida, like, you know, again, intersection syndrome strikes again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I think, 
for me, I've, I've something that I've just really been thinking about a lot um, and reflecting on a lot, especially like as someone in the past who's written a lot of um, really kind of compelling and disturbing villains. Um, I've been thinking a lot about how they're really at this point, you know, we're really seeing that there, there, there is no good or evil anymore. Okay. So basically, okay, look at, let me, let me, let me just like reframe it a whole different way. Okay. So, um, I saw this really cool interview with Mads Mikkelsen, um, when he was in Hannibal and someone was like, so one of the interviewers asked him the question, how does it feel, um, to be playing one of like the, the most wicked villains of all time? Mm-hmm. And he looked at her and he was like, he's not a villain. And she was like, what? And he was like, what are you talking about? Like Hannibal Lecter, like he's a man with principles. He has a code. He likes the finer things in life. And, you know, if people get in the way of the things that he likes, I'm sorry, he's not a villain. He's, he's, he's self-actualized. Like he's going, you know, he doesn't, he's, he doesn't see himself as a bad guy at all. In fact, he sees himself as being quite heroic. He's ridding the world of these rude people um, he's helping the people that he thinks are kind of have, have something extra special about them and he's helping them develop that. And also he creates these incredible meals. Like, you know, in his mind that he's not doing, he's, he knows he's doing bad things, but he's got such a, a, a complicated way that he justifies it, that it's not bad anymore. It's actually not bad. And Ooh. I've been thinking about that a lot when it comes to people like Ron DeSantis, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, like all these, these people who are out here doing cuckoo banana pants stuff, mm-hmm. saying absolute mad lies, um, the hatred, the just the disgusting things that they say, all of this stuff. And like all, all of us on the, on the, who are the targets of that or who are on the flip side of that, we're all like, how do they sleep at night? How do like... Oh my gosh, like, like these people are so wicked and evil. Like, oh, well, not to them, they're not. To them, we are, you know? And so as I've been like in this isolation and then, you know, the physical injury burnout, like uh, this is the thing that I keep coming back to is the fact that like, I almost feel like we've reached a point where we cannot talk to each other anymore. And, and I'm really sorry, like, you know, for your for your daughter, for your granddaughter, like that, that this would be something that they would hear, you know, decades, decades from now. But I really, I feel like the two sides, the, the progressives and the liberals or, or, you know, the radicals on the one side, and then the kind of proto-fascists, Nazis, white supremacists on the other side, like there's, I don't see that there's any place anymore for any kind of bridges to be built or um, any kind of, um, bipartisanship. Um, I feel like we've, we crossed that. Um, I feel like that would, that's the opportunity for that was there and it's, it's gone. And I don't know how, or if there'll ever, ever be a chance for that to come back because, you know, especially the proto-fascists, like, dude, they are living in another world. And I think the only way you can understand them is by thinking about them in terms of how does a villain see themselves and and they do not see themselves as a villain. They are the hero of their own story. And these people think that we're the ones that are ruining the world and they believe it and they don't have trouble sleeping at night. They don't. And if they kill one of us, they don't feel bad about that because it's their ends. They justify the means. So whereas like a lot of like liberals and progressives might've had to do violence and had to do things um, that they that in in the struggle for for rights and for human rights and for for dignity and for justice, 
we'll feel guilty. We'll have feel, we'll feel badly about that. Um, but this other side that we have now, they don't. And so I've really been, because you know, I live in Florida and I'm surrounded by people like this. And I've really been trying to just like put on my empathy as much as possible and try to understand what's happening. And what's happened is monstrous. Yeah, the 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 culmination of Trump's, you know, all of that, his his uh, his toxic, you know, ringling brothers, whatever, like uh, exploitative um, capitalist. Oh my gosh, just like the Nazi shit. Like I can't. That is, it's too far gone now. Like that, the whatever that, all of that that he that he put out and made it acceptable. You can't put it back in. You know, it's like the the box, Pandora's box is open and. You can't, it doesn't, you can't close it again. Um, and, or if you close it, it's just going to be an empty box now. Like all the demons are out. <laughs> all the demons are out. Yeah. Um, so, so what do you think is the the next step for this, this country? Um, even if you want to, you know, kind of microcosm it for creators and creative types, mm. what's the next step for us? Do you think, do you foresee? I mean, honestly, like, I feel like at this point, America, there's, we're going to have to separate into, I think, a few, you know, smaller states because it's, it's these, these two kinds of lives that Americans want are incompatible. Mm -hmm. You know, the proto-fascists, they really, they want, they want something that is incompatible, that's incompatible with my values fully. Mm -hmm. It's fully incompatible. And I don't want to live under that system. That's not why I live in America. Mm -hmm. And so I think like for the, for, for, for creation, I'm bringing it back to like, to creatives and like what we can do um, on our, on like an individual level or like creative level collectively, mm-hmm. I feel is like, well, first off the projects like yours where we're just keeping record of people's stories mm-hmm. and their experiences. Um, you know, what happened to us during the pandemic? Um, how did we have to change? How did we have to shift? What things did we see? Um, you know, how was our faith in humanity tested? And, you know, in my case, just like kind of obliterated, mm-hmm. um, you know, collecting these stories and, and keeping them somewhere safe, I think is really important for our kids. Because you know what, if these proto-fascists, if they take over, these stories will go away. Mm-hmm. Like they'll, They will. So, I mean, so like if we can get these stories someplace that we make sure that they're safe, um, I think that would, I think that's something that we can actively do. Yeah, because also, his history is written by the victors, right? It's always, I know. Yeah. And they're, mm-hmm. they're really strong. They're armed and they're, they're very proud of their ignorance and they're very proud of their violence. They're proud of it. And, yeah, they are. Um, $281 million to try to overthrow the government in Texas and in, in California on some asinine principle. Like the, yeah. the, the, the platform was, yeah. was not even feasible yeah. for anyone. And, and, and even people, conservatives told, said, yeah. That platform was not feasible, but they still have managed to get the state to spend two hundred eighty-two million, I think it is, on yeah. recalling a government, a governor. So they are powerful. And, um, yeah, and it's so it's like so. I feel like I feel like our role right now is to kind of to collect stories, um, mm-hmm. to collect as 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 much as possible, as much information as we can. And I also think that it's really really important. For, I mean, I kind of feel like this is almost like a time not for fiction. Um, mm. I kind of feel like this is a time where we need to be making more documentaries, where we need to, where we really need to be focusing on facts and science. And, you know, science is, is ever evolving. So, so science, so like, but because people don't have, and especially on, you know, the, the right wing side, people don't have the critical thinking skills anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, so I kind of feel like there's got to be some way that we can inject critical thinking skills through creative means. And I kind of feel like documentaries might be a good way to do that. Um, but then at the same time, like, I, I know I said that, you know, it's not a time for fiction, but at the same time, like there, there seem to be certain, certain kinds of themes right now that are, um, that are bipartisan, like for example, superheroes. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's a lot of room with, with some of these like godlike and superhero characters to really like push the boundaries of people who are proto-fascists and trying to get them to reconsider their position Mm -hmm. um, and to bring them kind of back to like the side of like the light quietly without them even knowing that it happened. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, because like people, like for example, when Star Wars, when the new Star Wars came out, it was just never so obvious that the dark side are Nazis, that they are bad. But then like all of these right-wing people, they were like, wait, like, wait, wait, but I'm not the resistance. Like, and they were so surprised when they learned that they were not <laughs> I the remember resistance. That. And they, because it's like, yeah. how did you, did you, what, how did you even get there? How did you get because there? Like, again, it's like I was saying, like, they think that they're the heroes of their own story. Mm-hmm. So of course they're the rebels, right? Mm-hmm. But then, but then that, and I really feel like that was one of the biggest, that, that their biggest problems of the new Star Wars is that you could not deny like that. The Republican platform was illustrated by, you know, Kylo Ren and his people and that the resistance was all of us like fucking like half shaved head liberals, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. gay and like what, you know, like what all the, the other identities except for like the white straight male. Like it was just never so much more clear <laughs> except in those fucking Star Wars movies. And He-Man I, did it too. Netflix okay. He-Man. I think he, I think they did because the 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 first part that came out was Tila. Um, it was it was all it was the women telling the story, oh. and and I think that the the stuff that they drew out were same the same parallels, and I think that's why they, it, was, it was like hated. Oh, I haven't seen that yet, so okay, I have to well, watch again to be I, sure. I, I, but I'll I have to I'll have to check that out. So I, I have to watch again to be sure. But yeah. I think you're right that you know we need to fiction. Fiction needs to be intentional now. It has to be. There cannot be any more accidental fiction. Like you have to go into the fiction being like, okay, this is the message. And it's, and I know that they say that for creatives, you're not supposed to do that, but no, no, no. Mm -hmm. Now we have to like, what is my theme? Is this an, is this a a, a anti, um, you know, is this a pro immigration theme? Mm -hmm. Um, Are we like, you have to decide what is the social um, justice issue that your film or your art, your song, whatever you, and you've got to be explicit about it. Mm-hmm. And, and you've got, I feel like we've really creators have to start w- working from that part. You can, there's, I don't think that there's any more room for like, just kind of like vanity projects anymore. Like a lot of literary fiction is just like, Oh, it's like a day in the life of someone. I just like, unless it's the story of somebody marginalized written by a marginalized person, I just don't really like see what's that going to bring, you know, like, and I mean, and we know that literary fiction, it, it tends to be um, very heavy, you know, white, white men and white women. And, I don't, um, you and, know if you can see my eyes roll back into my head. <laughs> that happened. Um, so one reason why, why I, oh. I've got two stories that I'm pitching out there. I'm not calling them literary fiction for that reason, because don't I just, do mm-hmm. I don't want them under, under that lens, but I yeah. see a lot of stuff coming out now um in in tv and film 
um, that, oh my gosh, I just, just the uh, uh, film I watched this week, a new indie film. You'll love it. Um, All the world is sleeping is what is the title. Okay. And it centers the Latino mother and the mm. opioid crisis. We need stuff <gasps> like that. Oh. Yeah. And, and um, the star of it is Melissa Barrera, you know, she from in the Heights. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah and Vida I know her, from Vida. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's the, the, the younger sister. Um, oh, wow. She, this is her Charlize Theron monster moment where she shows people I'm oh more than God. just a seductress. Yeah. And she's she, so beautiful. It's a, it's a great movie. I've been, I've been cool. sort of like low key campaigning for <laughs> on, <laughs> on social media because they haven't been picked up yet. And it's, it's like, it's totally indie, totally indie, but totally oh, Latin cast crew, right. everything. Um, yeah. I think we need stories like that with, like you said, you set out your intention and it's fiction, right. but yeah. you're actually tackling something. And I think, I think this is something that Planned Parenthood kind of foreshadowed like years ago. I know they're kind of a, you know, an organization that, you know, is kind of shadowing themselves sometimes when you look at their, you know, history. history. Yes. Yeah. I know. But yeah. I think um, they've got, I think they're, they're, they're really onto something now. Um, black woman at the home. Um, love her. But um, they started seeding um, TV shows and films with, reproductive rights and 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 accurate reproductive information and they actually lend out their people to set for that reason i'm wondering if we we're going to have to get that way with social justice topics where we're going to have to get like black lives matter to you know okay you're gonna have to send somebody to these sets to make sure or you know um other organizations, you know, get um, what was the one for immigration? The uh, rices, right? Rices, rices. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, sending out to, to you know, mm-hmm. so that we're not getting any more of this um, poor, you know, dirty immigrant stories. And there's right. air quotes around that. Um, yes, yeah. We're getting accurate stories of people who are going through a hardship who thought they were coming to yeah. a promising place and they came here and they were basically shafted. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're Absolutely. right. I think Absolutely. you're onto something. So. Yeah. So, I mean, but <laughs> these are things like, I just, I've been, I've spent a lot of time by myself. <laughs> <this past year. laughs> like, it's really like, I think it's not healthy. Um, I think how you should get them in front of a microphone, like a podcast. Like these are some ideas that people need to hear. I also feel like at this point for creatives, like it might be a time to like, also just look at other things that we can do that are maybe different from what we did before, because mm-hmm. I feel like with everything that's happened, there's been so much upheaval. Like it doesn't, makes sense that we should come out of it on the other side without having at least explored some other stuff because like you know mm-hmm. when when things are when everything is up in the air and you don't know where anything is going to land like that's there's actually like a lot of possibility it's like terrifying you mm-hmm. know but at the same time there there are a lot of possibilities in there that you never would have thought of and so like for example for me with with the voice acting thing like i mean i was trained as an actor i was like i went i went to college in la to be an actor and that's something that it changed very quickly, like because of diversity issues um, Mm -hmm. mainly, but like, it's weird to think that 20 years later uh, because of the pandemic and because of my, you know, my intersection syndrome um, (laughs) that like, I'm actually kind of returning to something that I, uh, uh, something that I loved that I thought was going to be my career when I was a kid, you know, Mm -hmm. and not even Mm -hmm. when I was a kid, when I was all the way through to when I was like 19. So, so many of us, it's, it's not just uh it's it's not a hobby anymore it's not it it's become it's become our financial backing it's become our you know it's it's our economic how it's how we feed ourselves it's how we pay our mortgage like it's it's become much more than just like the fun that it was at one point when we started out you know 
Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I do wonder if like with, when it comes to the burnout, whether, because creative people are, are always multiple creatives, you know, like there's, mm-hmm. I've never met a creative person who was only talented at one creative thing. Like uh, every creative person I know has like 10 or, or more things mm-hmm. that they're, they're really good at or things that they're interested in that they've wanted to learn and they just never had an opportunity. And so I think, I think for the people who are burned out, you know, like myself, I, I think finding a, a different creative um, something that maybe something that you liked as a kid that you kind of, you, you never were going to make money at it or something. And so like, you kind of, you, you just like, let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe like returning to some of those things just to kind of get the creative, like to fill our wells again, because I feel like burnout, what happens is that you're so busy, like putting everyone else's oxygen masks on that. You just like forget to put yours. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and like, and that's kind of how I've been feeling. It's like all of like, you're, you're you've, you've got carbon monoxide poisoning. Cause like you're, you, you don't have oxygen. Like, mm-hmm. And so, and again, and also with the well, it's like, you keep filling everyone else's cups, but then like your cup is empty. So, um, so like, we've got to start doing things at this point to like, try to fill our cups again. And if we got burned out doing something like for me, it was writing. Um, if our burnout kind of sprang from our, one of our main creative wells, well, then we've got to like, kind of start digging and get another well going, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm Um, and it sucks. It's really hard. Like I hate it. I, I, I don't know how to not be a writer. Like mm-hmm. I just literally, like I'm, I've been, I, honestly, sometimes I just sit and cry because I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with myself. Like I can't, like my mind is like a blank, blank. Like what is like, what's happened? Like mm-hmm. I, you know, and I feel really like it makes me, I start spiraling about it. And, um, but so, you know, through tra- trauma therapy, I've been having to kind of learn how to, um, to allow myself to rest. And Mm -hmm. I just never give myself, I always feel like, I think also when you're a freelancer, like the hustle is all, is all the time, you know, it's like, the hustle is 24 seven always have to be looking for another gig. You could, you know, even when you get the best new gig, you still have to keep feelers out for new ones because nothing ever lasts as a freelancer. Mm -hmm. And so, so I feel like, you know, the, the level that you get to with burnout as a freelancer is it's pretty epic. Um, and yeah. you just don't like, honestly, I, my advice, honestly, is just like, try not to get to this point, like mm-hmm. <laughs> take care of yourself. I mean, I really like up until the pandemic, um, I always was very careful and I always made sure that I had my downtime and everything and, you know, my time to go and listen to live music. And there were so many things that I did to just like, to make sure that I kept my well, you know, I kept my well with, with fresh water coming in. Mm-hmm. And, but then thanks to the pandemic, like those outlets were, they weren't there anymore. And it just became very easy to just like work, work, work. So, you know, of course, like if you can avoid doing that to start with and just never get to the burnout stage, like that's the ideal. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but sometimes in, in situations like we, with the pandemic, it we couldn't help it. Um, What else is there to do, but work? I mean, you're, you're in isolation. You're, They can't go anywhere. Like you said, you can't yeah. do the live music. My thing was yeah. going to like the beach, the water, oh. you know, I, I love, or to a movie, uh, you know, right. with the sitting around, sitting with other people and, and enjoying something with, with them. Um, you can't, yeah. they close down the beaches for the longest time. And now yeah. people are flocking there to where you really can't really go safely. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I get you. I I get that, you know, and just finding, finding like, um, well, in the book I'm reading the firekeeper's daughter, a new normal. 
Um, yeah. Ugh. And I hate that phrase, but it's like, yeah, we just, all of us are, we have to adjust to a new, like a, it's almost like a new reality. A new reality. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And for, and for me, you know, for me not being able to write is like, this is, I feel like I'm in a sci-fi. Like I just, I don't, I really, I'm, I've been str- I'm really just struggling with who, who am I? Like, who is mm-hmm. this person? Who is this person? I don't know who I am without this. And then it's like, you know, my, my, my counselor, my trauma counselor pointed out that like, well, you know, well, when you don't know who you are, like, this is an opportunity to find out some new stuff about yourself. And I'm that like, is. but I, but I'm like, I didn't want to find out. I want my other <laughs> stuff. I want my own stuff back. <laughs> and it's yeah, like, I don't but, want to do this, but nope. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, but again, like your, your body will stop you. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing. If you, if you do that, you know, you, you just go, 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 go. And it's constant doing your body will eventually stop you. And the older we get, the the less we can get away with. And yeah. so, you know, and I just, I learned my lesson the really hard way. And so now I'm just, I'm literally forced back. I physically cannot write. So yeah, your, your, your hands, your body will not let you use your hands it, it as won't. a writer. How mm-hmm. much yeah. more of a, you know, I mean, you're basically, you're, yeah. you're, you're grounded. Your I'm brain grounded, grounded you. Your I'm body grounded, grounded you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I literally, I am. Yeah. I love, I love that. I'm, I'm absolutely, I'm grounded. And, and so you learn your lesson so, to do better and to prioritize yourself into, yeah. yeah. I mean, and I think so, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. Go ahead. It's, it's yeah, no, it's, it's really, it's a lot. So, but the, but I'm just, so I'm just like at this point, just trying to take, take the wins whenever I can. So, mm-hmm. so like, for example, for, for the last three years, I have not read a book for pleasure. Mm. Um, I literally, like it was only for, if I was reviewing it, um, or if it was, you know, for so a lot of my looper writings were kind of doing a comparison of a book to a television show or a movie adaptation. And so, you know, I was rereading a lot of things, but again, for work, always for work. Mm-hmm. And since this, um, since my diagnosis of, um, both, you know, the carpal tunnel and the burnout, um, I actually have started reading for pleasure again. And wow. yeah, so, I mean, and it's kind of a funny story. I think you I, actually like you and all the nerds will appreciate this. So, <laughs> so last summer when I got my new job, um, I really splurged and I basically just bought all of the expensive books that I'd had in my wish list for like decades. And okay. one of my special, like kind of passion since I was a kid is carnival culture, American carnival culture. Mm-hmm. And so I actually bought these rare carnival books and um, like books about the sideshow stuff that's out of print and really hard to find. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, I spent, yeah, I spent a significant chunk of cash that like bigger than any purchase I've ever made in my life mm-hmm. um, on these books. And I thought that I could trick myself into reading, you know, for pleasure by getting myself these beautiful treats of books. Right. Mm-hmm. And last summer it didn't work. It, it fully didn't work. Those books just sat there and almost like taunting me. And so finally, like, well, with my injury and with all of this stuff that's going on, I've been reading my carnival books and it's been really cool. And I'm actually like not thinking about doing anything with them. I'm not thinking about a story. I'm not thinking about an article. I'm not thinking about any way to like, do anything with these books other than just to read them and enjoy mm-hmm. them and like absorb the history and absorb the stories of these incredible sideshow performers. And like, yeah. And, and I, as I was doing it, I that was when I realized I was like, Oh my gosh, like I, I'm finally feeling my well again. I'm like, Oh, feeling your well again. That's what that. it feels like. like, like I just had forgotten what it felt like to take care of my creative side. Um, 
And I, and really it used to be live music for me, like going mm-hmm. to see live music. There's a, a one of our locals, um, they had a, a band every night. And so like, really there was, I was going to see live music all the time. And even if the band wasn't good, it doesn't matter. I love live music and the, the place is right on the water. So it's like my, get my fill of the ocean as well as live music and dancing under the moon with the water there. I mean, oh my gosh, like that was how I filled my cup. Mm-hmm. And since I can't do that anymore, um, it's pretty cool to have just remembered that like I can fill my cup with books and I have a huge library here. So like, really like if all I'm going to do, if I'm not going to write for a year or something, well, then I have time to read all these books Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I've got some of which are really expensive, man. Like I, I, yeah, I really, I just went and bought all these academic studies about horror and all this stuff that I really, these books are, you know, you know, how academic textbooks are like 40 bucks. Oh my gosh. Yes. I know. I have some, um, oh, man. Oh. but I, yeah. So, I mean, I really splurged, but the stuff I got is so great. And it's like, so now I finally, well, now I have, now I have time and mental space to read because mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm not writing. And, um, and then as I'm not writing, I'm, you know, trying to get more editing jobs and I'm looking at other avenues of different things to do. Um, that don't involve my hands, mm-hmm. uh, which also includes, you know, podcasting at some point mm-hmm. when I'm just like feeling a little bit more when I'm feeling just like I'm at about 70% right now. So when I'm like closer to a hundred, mm-hmm. then I think like something like a podcast or something would be super fun to do. But really, I think like ultimately the, my advice, like for creatives at this point is like, especially if you're still socially isolating and um, is like to really take the breaks, take a weekend, like, it doesn't matter what day is you take the weekend, like take two days off in a row mm-hmm. and don't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just don't. don't like, and yeah. it's so hard. Like, why don't, why are we like this? But like, just do it because if, if you don't do it, it's so much worse on the other side. Like, Oh yes. God, it's just so much worse. It, like, I it just, is. Seriously. And I almost feel like some of my writer friends are like staying away from me because I feel like, like, because my injury is like, it's <laughs> like, like I'm, it's contagious or something like, you know, a writer who can't write. It's, it's a like, writer's biggest fear. It it's, is. It's, it's like our nightmare and I'm, you're, yeah, you're living, living our nightmare. It's, and. it's horrible. It's yeah. I'm just like, honestly, like, yeah. Um, and you're right about filling your well. Um, I, I, okay. So I, my thing that I think totally re- jumpstarted me was in August, I started taking like, um, I, I started um, taking one of the checks that I make from this project that I'm this, one of my projects that I do mm-hmm. and I'm going to buy myself a weekend yeah. to go away and just to sleep and write. Nice. That nice. The, the, I mean, yeah. like the, it, you talk about refilling your well. I mean, that was yeah. like, it was phenomenal. And, and the momentum yeah. I got after that. Right. Um, yep. Yep. It was amazing. So it's like something yeah. that I'm thinking may need to be like a regular thing for me until yep. the pandemic is over because, you yep. know, again, you can't be around people. You can't do this. So, yep. and this little yep. boutique hotel in the middle of Chicago is like super strict on mask mandates and, and, you know, cool. keeping people mm-hmm. like socially everything. And it's yep. like run by black people. So, you know, I don't have to go in there and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, yeah, code just, switch and have that mask uh, on, you know? I know I, yeah, I, yeah. 
you know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah so yeah. It, it just really two days of, uh, you know, two or three days of that, that maybe come back revitalized, ready. My, my brain had so many ideas and I knew what I was going to do. Yeah. I love that filling your well thing. Love it. I'm going to, we're going to use it. I'm, I'm this, that's, that may be the title of your episode. Um, oh, cool. All right. I like yeah. it. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to close this out. I think there, okay. that's the yeah. last advice was like the best ever. You've been listening to the Creators in COVID podcast. Many thanks to Vero for the partnership in this podcast, to Zazine Kohler for sharing her story, and to you for spending your time with us. Come back next time for a new story and hear it first on the Vero platform. We drop it and discuss 24 hours before the episode premieres here on Red Circle. Until next time. Bye. Creators in COVID is brought to you by Vero. Vero is a social network designed for connection, not engagement. I love it because it's a place for creators to be free from the algorithm and where episodes of this podcast will drop first 24 hours before anywhere else with a conversation about the episode to follow. That's right. Come to Vero and you get to have a conversation with me, Jenny Davis, and all of my friends and fans over there 24 hours before the rest of the world gets to see it. Download Vero for free from the App Store or Google Play and follow me, Jonita Davis, and share your thoughts and stories.